Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. Uh, those of you that are here every week, uh, those of you that are new to our church, thank you so much uh, for choosing to be in church with us this morning and in worship today. I'm excited uh, for today. And I know some of you are excited for today too. Uh, maybe not so much for church, but I noticed by your apparel, you're excited about today for different reasons. Uh, there is a giant showdown this afternoon, I am told, uh, and I just need to get the lay of the land and know what kind of people we have as a part of our church. Um, is there people here that think the Packers and Jordan Love will beat the Bears? Yes? Two. That's right. Awesome. Uh, and then how many people would be here in the great, strong Chicago land that the Bears will finally have a turnaround year and finally get the Rogerless Packers off their back? And get a win, anybody, yes. All right, I'm glad, I'm glad to know who we have here. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good day. I'm excited. It should be a good game. Not only that, but um, in, in all reality, I'm really excited for today's message. I think for so many of you, these are questions that you have been asking, uh, and I think it's a whole new opportunity for to us to engage when we think about communion. Uh, if you are new to our church over these last few weeks, uh, we've been in a series together called Foundations, uh, looking at what are the things that are the most important to our church, what we believe, what we practice together and talking about them. And not just if you're new to the church, but for those of us that have been around the church, to be reminded, what is the most important things about our faith and how do we actually live that out in everyday life? Uh, we're following these verses from Jesus that is the central foundation, the mission for the church. Jesus in Matthew 28 turns to his disciples and he says these words, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples followers of Jesus, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. As a church, this is our mission that we live into, why we exist as a church, given to us from Jesus. In this series, we've gone through what is, how is the mission and the culture of our church, how does that play out? We celebrated baptism as the picture of what it means to follow Jesus, and seven people were baptized a few weekends ago, celebrating this new life that they have with Jesus, which is incredible. We talked about what it means to be a church of the Nazarene, to be a church that exists for people that otherwise wouldn't come to church. And we talked about missions. We had our missionaries here last week. But for all of us, how do we live on mission as missionaries in the world that we find ourselves today? And then today, I believe this is how we accomplish all of these things. This is how we actually live it out. Communion. So today we're going to talk about communion, and you may have noticed as you walked in, you look around and you see little communion things, you see the bread and the grape juice, okay, we're probably celebrating communion today. And we'll talk about what actually happens when we receive communion, but I want you to think of communion more today in this way, more of an idea. How do I live in communion with God and live in communion with the world? Some of you come to communion with many questions. What is it? What is it not? 
Why has the church done this for thousands of years? Is there more to it than just the bread and juice we eat and drink? Or maybe other questions that I receive from time to time. Has communion always involved a questionably stale cracker? Is Welch's the best juice for receiving communion? The answer is yes. Can I receive the bread of life even if I'm gluten-free? And the answer is yes, and I had to cross that one myself. Yes, we do have gluten-free, yes, communion, 100%. We have so many questions about communion. Here's my hope and my prayer for you today. If you're new to church or new to coming back to church, I hope that you begin to experience what all the meaning is wrapped up when we receive communion. You'd actually learn more something about God and respond to him today. And for those of us that have been in church our whole life, that we would revisit and remember communion, maybe learn something new, but in a sense rededicate our vows to living for Jesus. It's been called many things, communion, holy communion, maybe you've heard it called Eucharist, which means thanksgiving, or commemoration or remembering. And the scriptures themselves, the words communion or Eucharist are never actually used. What I wanna do is to go back and look at what happened when Jesus celebrated this meal to give us the picture of what we have of communion today. In Luke 22, you find Jesus gathering with his disciples, and they're about to celebrate the Jewish festival called Passover, and he sits around a table with them, he eats with them, and at a part in the dinner, he pauses, it's this climactic moment. He takes some bread, and he takes a cup, and he says these things, Luke 22, 19 and 20. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Today, as we talk about communion, maybe first looking from this verse, it is a call to remember. Jesus says, do this, eat and drink, in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember what I have done for you. Remember that I celebrated this with you. Yet there's something beautiful hidden in the text here. It's not just remember. Hey, remember when you were in fifth grade and that kid said that one thing and then you kicked the ball on the playground. You're, you're going back to the past. You're remembering. What's beautiful about this story and the way that it's written in the original Greek language, it's not only remember in the past, but there is a present perfect sense to it too that says, yes, remember, but in some mysterious way, Jesus is also present with us as we remember, as we partake. He is here with us just as he was with those first disciples. Remember me, but it's not just a, uh, a mental thing. It is participation. I remember what you have done, and I am currently, presently participating in it. God is present when we receive. Bob in the background notes this week writes this beautiful phrase, he says, God takes what is ordinary and transforms it into something sacred. Ordinary bread, juice, transforms it into something that is sacred. And here's what I love about this. Sometimes we separate the physical and the spiritual in our, in our mental mindset from Greek philosophy, it's left over. Well, there's the physical and then there's the spiritual. And God is saying, no, these two things are intricately maybe infused together you can't separate them. They are together. So as we receive physical things, there is a sacredness to them. And I love that picture of those two coming together. Because when we believe in Jesus, we believe that we receive the Holy Spirit. And scripture says he comes to live within us. He takes what is ordinary and begins to turn it into something sacred. 
Which then, I love that because we can look at our lives. How can God take what is ordinary in our lives and turn them into sacred moments? Maybe the conversations we have with other people. Maybe our own tables as we host and invite people to come over. Could God take what is everyday, normal, ordinary and use it for sacred purposes that in our conversations, in our gatherings, we could point people to Jesus and they may come to know him. Today, as we talk about communion, I want to pull a few different things from the actual word communion. I want you to see this. Communion, the first step of this, I want to say, is union. Communion. The union with God. What happens when we receive communion? Why do we receive communion? We, uh, we have a union with God. We become one with him. And what Jesus said in Luke 22, he says, this is my body which is given for you. This is a new covenant. This is my blood being poured out for you. Now, if you were a disciple and around the first table with Jesus, you would look at these phrases and you would recall something immediately. And maybe if you're new to church or new to the Bible, you're saying, Jesus, my blood poured out for you. What an interesting picture. Why would he say that? But if you read the Old Testament, if you read the story of God's people, over and over again, you would see when someone had sinned, by law they would require to bring a very specific prescribed animal normally pure and spotless. And they would bring it and that thing would be killed as a sacrifice and the blood somehow mysteriously was connected to the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus is saying, my blood is being poured out as a sacrifice for you, the disciples would have heard and understand, wait, Jesus, well, they still don't understand what that means. He hasn't died yet, but wait, sacrifice. Jesus is about to do something so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins. And what about this part of his body being broken? I think the disciples would have then come to clearly see. So this is Thursday night when they're gathering and having this meal and Jesus is saying these things. Later they would go out and Judas would betray him. Jesus would be arrested. He would stand on a trial in the late night hours or early on in the morning. And then being wrongly convicted because he is innocent, wrongly convicted they condemn him to die. They strip Jesus naked and they tie him to a pole. They begin to beat him and mock him and spit on him. Oh, if you're the son of God, if you're a prophet, prophesy who hit you this time to beat him. They would take him to a cross, nail him to a cross, put him on display for the world to see. It was the picture of shame, the picture of humiliation. If you were to look at it from an outsider eye, you would say it looks like all the dark powers and the evil of the world. We have all this evil and things, and are they actually in power? Well, right now it looks like evil has won. And Jesus dies, and they take him down from the cross. They put him in a tomb. And our central story of the Christian faith is not only that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sin, but that Jesus was raised to new life. On Sunday morning, God the Father and the power of the Spirit raises Jesus from the dead, never to die again, which vindicates and proves and justifies Jesus' mission. It proves he is who he said he was. He is fully God, fully man, the Son of God, able to forgive us of our sin and give us new life. Not just after we die so we can spend eternity in heaven with God, but even here in the now. God can change and transform us and give us new life. And that is good, that offer was good then, and it is good for us today. Communion, the story, is the retelling of our central story as believers. As the disciples go back and revisit these words, Jesus was telling us what was about to happen to him. 
But this act itself has given us the forgiveness of sins if we believe in him. And so when we receive as individuals, what we are saying is, God, I believe in you. Just as I remember in the past, but you're presently with, you died to forgive me of my sin. You shed your blood because you loved me. You love me so much that you would rather die than spend an eternity away from me. So you show this great act of love. So as I receive as gift now, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Help me to live for you. Enable me, sustain me, provide for me. Give me your grace and help me to live for you. We receive individually. But we not only receive individually, but when we practice communion, we do it with the entire church. In communion, there's an aspect not only of unity, but community. Community, or from the base word commune, to live with, to live with both God and others. When we receive, we do so as a church. We can look around the room and see other people different than us, but all coming to the Lord's table. And it invites the question, well, who's invited to receive? Who can receive communion? Maybe I grew up hearing different things. Can I receive? Can I not? And some in, the, in later practices, later on during the early church, they would say, well, they'd have their worship service, and then if you haven't been baptized, you have to leave the room, and then those that have been baptized, they can receive communion together. In some church traditions, you've got to go through some formal training before you can receive communion. But at our church, how do we practice this? We get this question all the time. Who gets to receive communion? For me personally, I think we get in trouble Anytime we put a man between other people and God, whenever we say, well, I think you can or I think you can't. As I read the scripture, God gives the invitation to all. My grace is here for you. Would you come and receive? To, invitation is open to all. I don't want to be the gatekeeper of the faith. I will gladly let Jesus do that for he knows best anyway. So who is invited? There's a beautiful story. It's one of my favorites. Um, it is a little odd, and maybe most people haven't heard the full story. It's a parable of Jesus, a story of Jesus when he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. In Matthew 22, he's describing this wedding feast. He's saying, come to the table. Come live in relationship with God. And in the story, he says, those that were originally invited did not come. The hearers of his day would have recognized, he's talking about the Jewish people. God was trying to make himself known through the world through the Jewish people, and they wouldn't come in faithful uh, covenant relationship with him. So then he invites the invitation to all in the parable. Anyone can come, and here's what's interesting. In the story, it says some were too busy. Some had their matters to attend to. Some had just closed the business deal. Some had just got married, and they, they chose not to come. But yet, the invitation stands for anyone who would come. From 22, verses 9 and 10, I love this. Yeah, Jesus says, now go out in the streets and corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find. I love this next line. Good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. In our church, we follow the theological tradition of John Wesley. And as he would talk about communion, he would say, as you received communion... Even if you've never heard anything of God, it could actually be, he called it, a means of grace, the way in which you could receive Jesus. He would say, if, even if you're an adult and you've never heard about Jesus, as you think about this body and the blood, Jesus is sacrificed to have relationship with you. Maybe in receiving communion, you would say yes to God. 
God, I believe in you. God, forgive me of my sin. God, I want to live life with you. It could actually be the moment of your conversion. When you look at the early church and throughout all of history, entire families would eat around a dinner table together and then celebrate communion together. The entire family has always been involved in the life of community. That's why you'll hear us around here say the phrase, parents of young kids, we leave it up to you to decide if your child is ready to receive communion. Because my six-year-old, Lillian, if you ask her today, Lillian, do you love Jesus? Yes. Lillian, do you believe Jesus died for your sins and gives you new life? Yes, I do. I love Jesus. You take this picture of Jesus, let the children come to me. Who am I to say, no, you can't partake in God's grace. No, come, just as the families have done. Now, you may not understand it as well as you will one day. There is a difference between six and 60. Hopefully at 60, as you've been living in communion with God, you'll begin to see it at a much, much deeper level and all the meaningful pictures there. But all are welcome to receive. Who's invited? Everyone. But here's what's interesting. As everyone comes together, you'll look around and say, we're very different. We're different ages, different stages. We, we look different. We sound different, speak different languages. It's kind of a chaotic table, a chaotic dinner party all together. How do we actually live? And communion is not only gives us the community, but the end word of community is unity. That we may come together as a commune, people who live together, who live in unity together, both with God, as we've talked about, but then with others. Beautiful pictures happen in communion. When we come together, first of all, we, we have to notice that no seat at the table is earned. You can't come before God, look how good of a person I am. I mean, I give to the poor. I'm kind to the lady at work who drives me crazy. Jesus, I'm a good person, so you have to let me in. That's not how it works. The good news of Jesus is not about good and bad, as we like to often categorize or try to justify ourselves. The good news of Jesus actually deals with death and life. In communion, when we look around, we realize none of us have earned anything with God. It's been given freely to us. So when you say, I take communion, do you take from Jesus? No, we receive communion. It's all been given as a gift. And so we come on an equal playing field. We are all sinners in need of God's grace, for we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And as we receive, we are all justified freely, as Scripture says, by his grace. And this, that should change the way we look at one another. You know, when we look at each other, it's, it's unconscious, and we feel judgmental saying it out loud. But we unconsciously categorize people. Wow, that person's amazing. I admire them. That person, it's a little rough. They should probably get their life together in these ways. Instead, when you come to the table, it's me and you. We have a status. We are family. We are brothers and sisters, children of God, but we're all equal playing ground before him. And it also helps us recognize who is the head of the table, Jesus. In the church, we don't scratch and claw to get our way and to get on top. We bow the knee in humble submission to Jesus and then we live in humility towards one another. Jesus, not my life group leader, not my pastor, not what I like. Jesus is the head of the table. One picture that I'll always have in my head that I think is a good picture maybe for communion uh, is my family's table growing up. Uh, I just think of the mundane meals that we shared together, just a few people. I've shown you pictures before of Thanksgiving and 20 and 25 people around uh, the table all together. But there's another gathering I remember and it was Wednesday lunches. 
Uh, in my high school, growing up, we had what we call open lunch. I don't know if they do that here or not. Um, where during your lunch time, you could leave and go eat lunch if you wanted to. My house was very close to the school. And on Wednesdays, my mom had off work. And mom would say, Galen, invite all your friends over, like maybe not more than 12 because that starts to be a lot of food, and invite them all over and I'll make you lunch on Wednesdays. I'm like, mom, my friends are the football team. That's a lot of food. She's like, I want to do this. Let's do it. And so I remember on those Wednesdays, and it was fun, you know, you go to like first hour, second hour blocks or whatever it was called, um, like, hey, you coming to lunch today? Yeah, it's going to be great. Oh, I can't wait. What's she making today? Oh, it's going to be a surprise. It's going to be so good. If my mom were here, she would actually tell the story very differently. That she said uh, she wanted to provide this. It was her day off. She wanted to do this. Wanted to have the friends in the house. And she would literally pray, God, I want, you know, help these young boys to come to know Jesus. She'd pray for them before they would come. And she would um, write down her grocery list of what she would prepare. She would tell you, if she was here today, every week when she walked into the country market with her grocery list, what was on her list was also on sale almost every week. And for her, she took that as confirmation. I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. But I remember, like, you, you show up, these 10 football players, and you open the door. The second you open the door, you're like, oh, I have arrived. This is heaven. Here we go. It's going to be a feast. we got to eat quick, but it's going to be great. We'd walk in. You'd sit around the table. My mom, and uh, she'd pray for us. We'd pray together. And then we'd go get our food sometimes up to the counter. I remember sometimes, like, you know, if it was a big steak or something, you'd put it, you'd put it on your plate. And I remember... This might sound bad, but I remember watching the football players, you know, the linemen, they're like piling up the plate 100%. The running backs are putting the food. The wide receivers, I'm looking at them like, if you drop that plate, I'm not throwing to you this weekend. I'm watching you. If you don't drop, if you don't have no drops, by the way, you can get a job for the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Lord, help us. We need help this year. And Lord, bless the 112 of you who have asked me what happened on Thursday night. God bless you. You're wonderful. And we would eat this meal together. It was wonderful. And I remember, now I remember this meal from parent perspective. I'm sure there are probably times my mom um, probably wouldn't want every individual that was sitting around that table to be there, just for their influence in her son's life, right? Yet I also remember it was a table with an open seat policy. Anybody can come. You eat together. I remember some of those boys' friends were changed because of those meals, most of them may not have had a space like that where someone could shower generosity and love. A family would come together unapologetically. Hey, boys, we're here. We love Jesus. We're going to pray. We thank God for every good thing he's done for us. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to eat. Mrs. Ryman, yeah, it changed things as they would look at the host and the gift that they had received. What's interesting to me, when you hear a story like that, you think of a meal like that. As Christians, we all want to be on the receiving end. I want to walk in the door. I want to smell it. I want to walk through and get the steak. I want to feast. And there's nothing wrong with receiving. But yet, as you grow in your Christian maturity, it shouldn't be just about receiving. If we're to become more like Jesus as we follow him, what does it look like to begin to host those kinds of meals? To have an open seat policy. Anyone, everyone can come. And when we come, this is a place of love and grace and mercy. I'm a shower, generosity, abundance, full heart, full stomach. It's going to be an amazing place together. What if Jesus could use us to point the world to him? And metaphorically, yes, Galen, that sounds great. I want to be that kind of person. Metaphorically, yes. What about this? Literally. When was the last time we had people in our home? 
When did we invite someone over? When did we share love across the table and get to know somebody? It's an investment of time and finances and food, yes. But isn't that what Jesus would do? It's what he does with us. Aren't we supposed to become like him? In a world that has lost the art of the dinner party, shoot, Uber Eats can get here in 30 minutes. Why would I have anybody else over? Let's just eat out, it's easier, 100%, and that's fine too. But as millennials, Gen Z, and all of those behind have lost the art of hosting, if we are the people who do that, how much more love is communicated when we have those kinds of gatherings? If you allow me just a brief aside for a moment. In a service here recently, I always say, hey, if you're new, come talk to me. Somebody new recently said, hey, I just want to thank you. I said, okay, what for? I said, I can just tell you're a pastor who cares. And for me, I was like, whew, thank you, compliment. But then I went home, I started thinking about it. Yes, you're a pastor who cares. Thank you. Also, heartbreaking. Shouldn't that just be the normal? Pastors, ministers, genuinely loving and caring for people? Shouldn't that be? But then I took it a step further. That's not just pastors. That should be Christians. We should be a people who just care, who just love. Can I ask us, do we care? Our neighbors? Do we care that they're going through a hard time? Do we care about the mom who's alone? Do we care about the dad who's estranged from his family? Do we care about others? And if we do, let it not be lip service, but table service. Come, be in my home, bring your mess with you. That's how God took me. Come and let us love, let us sit, let us eat together. A picture of the table in communion with one another, in unity with one another. Not just that, but as a final word, as we look at this community, the, the root word for commune, communion, is to commune, to live life together, or to communicate, to talk with one another. I guess I would say it this way, how do we build relationships? In church here, we talk about, it's not just a religion, things you do, you check the list so you're good with Jesus, that's not at all what God wants from us. He wants a relationship, to know him, to be known by him. How do you build then a relationship to live life with someone and to talk with them. When I think about this, um, I think about a table. You may have noticed there's a giant table down here. Um, this is actually my living room, or my living room, my dining room table. Uh, these are the chairs for my house and the place settings for my house. Uh, my wife commented right before I came up here, did you realize half the bowls didn't match? And I said, well, that's why I don't set the table. The kids, the kids need to serve, right? Um, this, this is our table here, and I think about sharing life. How do you build relationships with somebody? Oftentimes in the family, it's just meal after meal after meal. You're talking with one another. You share life with one another. This is how we build relationships. And it's not perfect. There are plenty of chips in this table, in this chair. Um, this chair is actually broken in the back. My friend broke it. And friend, you and I both know who you are, okay? Just so you know. There's blue paint over on that chair, because my daughter went to town one day. You know, it's not perfect, but living life together, talking with one another, that is where relationships are built. And we know this, don't you? Around the table, strangers become friends. Friends become family. You create memories together. Oh, you remember that one time Dawson threw a chicken nugget straight into his sister's hair? Ha, hilarious. You create new memories. Around the table, you also recall Ah, do you remember what Grandpa always said? We share and we remember something different happens around the table. Some of our best friends have been made around this table. Kids go to bed, friends come over, play games. We've had hard conversations, 
around this table. Um, had so much joy and laughter and fun. Pastor Hunter has never won a single game of Catan at this table, and that brings me great joy. <laughs> Life shared with one another. What if we begin to think of the table of God, not just as something we come and eat and drink and leave and maybe do it again in seven days, and I did the thing, I checked the list, so I must be good with God. God does not desire from you to check a list. What does he want? wants you. Come and live with me as we would sit around a table. Tell me about your day. What's burdening you? What are you anxious about? Tell me. How can I provide for you? What brought you joy today? God wants to live life and to talk with us. This is how we commune with God. Jesus says it well in John 15. Hear these words. Remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, come, remain at the table. Stay in this life with me. If you stay in this life from me, you receive fruit. You hear the fruit language of scripture when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. We receive love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness, and gentleness. And he goes on, apart from me, you have nothing. If we're living life and we're not experiencing the fruit of life with Jesus, are we living life with him? Have we distanced ourselves from the table? I want as much God as I want and the rest of the time I'm just gonna do whatever I want. Are we constantly coming back and sharing life with him? If we do, he's the one that produces the fruit within us. I want to share, since I'm sitting around the table, just one more story that may be helpful for some of you. Uh, I remember a specific table from my, family, my family's table growing up. I was 15 years old. I had recently gotten my farm permit, which allowed me to drive uh, and you know, it was not an awesome car. It was a 1984 Nissan Sentra that was falling apart and nothing worked on it, but it was mine and I was excited. And I made a bad decision one Friday night with a friend. We decided to drag race down a residential street. Uh, and drag racing a Nissan Sentra, I know doesn't make sense, but in my mind, it was a good idea. And we took off and as we're driving, I'm flying probably about 90 mile an hour. I look over and guess who's sitting right here on the side? road. And I said, oh, that's a cop, brakes. And I learned a lesson that night. If you're the first one who brakes and you're the one in behind, you're the first one that gets pulled over. And so I remember, uh, son, what are you doing? And just not even because I was trying to get out of anything. I was genuinely afraid of the conversation that would happen later. I began to weep. <laughs> ah, there's no excuse. 53 and a 30. I'm going to give you a $153 ticket, young man. Okay. I went home, my parents weren't home yet, on the table, I put the $153 ticket, $153 cash, my car keys, and went and sat in my room. Because <laughs> I knew the conversation that was coming and I did not want to have it. So I sat in my room, I didn't want to come out of my room the rest of that night. What I remember was that my mom came downstairs. First thing out of her mouth, I think there's so much to be learned from this, she said, are you okay? Well, yeah, I'm, 
I'm okay right now. I don't know. In 20 minutes when I have the conversation with dad, I don't know if I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I'm okay. And then you go upstairs. And you eat together. I think sometimes in our relationship with God, we know that we have done things to distance ourselves from the table. So what do we do? We run and we hide in a dark place or a basement. We don't even maybe realize it's, that's what it is at first, but that's where we end up. So I come back to God, I'm scared to have that conversation when I get there. What's he gonna say? We think that God is gonna yell at us. Do you recognize that the fact that you even feel the conviction and the invitation back to the table is the Holy Spirit in your life? Come on back. And he's not yelling at us. He's forgiven us. Look at Jesus. I'm forgiving you. Come on back to the table. Experience the relationship. Experience forgiveness. Let's continue to live life together. For some of you today, far from God, you know what you've done. You say, I can't. Jesus would love me. He does. He says, would you come? Would you receive forgiveness? Would you continue to live life with me? We can't make up for the relationship that we've missed for years, but we can start today. Would you come? In just a moment, we're going to receive communion together. I put them down front because I wanted there to be a physical response. The invitation has went out to all, but will you physically come to the table to respond and say, Jesus, I want this relationship. I want to live for you. When you come, if you're in this section or the balcony, you come down this way, receive the elements, and go back to your seat, make a circle. If you're in this section, in this section, if you're in the balcony, if you come this way, come receive the elements, and go back this way to your seat. If you're in the middle, you can come to the table here in the middle and come back around. For those of you that need gluten-free, it is on the tables up there. You can grab that. If you're physically unable to come forward this morning, raise your hand and get my attention, and I will bring communion to you. Let's pray together before we receive today. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for communion, the picture of the table. God, that because of your sacrifice, you can forgive us of our sin. You invite us into relationship with you to remember, to partake, to receive presently, to be a community together living in unity with one another, to recognize you as the head and our Lord as the church. Jesus, we are thankful, so we come with thanksgiving in our heart. God, as we receive, would you forgive us of our sin? Would you sustain us, provide for us, help us to become more and more like you, Jesus? We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.